Good morning. A time I was in over my head, uh, I foolishly uh, purchased, uh, they had this this little like, uh, you know like at Costco they'll have those little like houses for your kids to play in? Like, uh, you know, mine had like a window and a kitchen inside of it and it was like made for outside. It was made of cedar and you, you know, buy the set for like 400 bucks or something and then you take it home. And when I opened it up, um, what I realized was that you needed to be a full-on carpenter. I needed all kinds of tools that I didn't have, and I looked at it, and I was like, I don't know, I might just return this. Like, I don't think that my kids are ever going to be able to use this. And so I called my friend Doug. Uh, some of you might know Doug. He's, uh, he's a carpenter. He shows up with his truck and trailer, and uh, he pulled out all the tools that we needed, and it still took us, the two of us, him being a full-blown like carpenter, like can build anything guy with all the tools, still took us four and a half hours to put this thing together. It was unbelievable. There should have been like a disclaimer on the box that said, you can't do it. <laughs> Please leave. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're in over your head. I, I feel like as we're coming to a, a, a conclusion of Jesus' teaching, uh, it can be easy uh, to feel overwhelmed Right with how much he's asking for from his disciples and followers. There's a lot in here. I mean, like if you were really to step back and take a look and, and say, wow, this, this sermon is Matthew uh, chapter 5 through chapter 7, and it hits on, I mean, just unbelievable amounts of things that Jesus is expecting from his disciples, like raising the bar to his expectations and helping you get to a point where you should understand at the end of this, right, you there should be a disclaimer here that says you can't do this, right? Like, it's just not possible. Like you should be in over your head if you start to apply the idea that you are salt and light in the world and that, you know, you're called to fulfill, right, the law the way Jesus did to live that out in the world, that you shouldn't hate people in your heart, that you shouldn't look on other people um, with lust, that, in fact, your heart is like a place that should be geared towards and oriented towards God all the time, which should probably make you step back and say, I'm failing in that area, right? That you should take your oaths and your marriage oaths seriously, that you should abandon the idea of, let me get back at uh, someone who's wronged me, and you should find a way to love your enemies, right? That you should give to the needy. By the way, that's one of the last places that anyone's ever discipled is in their wallet. Right? You show me someone who uses their money in a way that orients God as number one in their life, and I will show you a disciple of Jesus. Right? And he talks about the idea that we should be praying and fasting in a way that brings us uh, closer in communion with God, not so that we can get some sort of accolade from other people. That we should be storing up treasures in heaven, not accumulating junk on earth that will rust, and be destroyed, and eventually be worthless, that we should, I mean, I don't know, this might be the hardest one, live an anxious, free life. Do not worry. That might be the hardest thing for a lot of people to do. We might have a lot of the other stuff figured out, but we're filled with anxiety all the time. That we might find ourselves judging others, even though Jesus would tell us not to judge other people, but to judge ourselves. That we should live in such a way that we would be asking and seeking, and knocking, and pursuing God on a regular basis, that there's only one way to God, and that it's 
a very narrow path and that not, a lot of people don't find their way into this path. And if you really step back and you really say, okay, let me apply Jesus' teaching here. Let me live out what Jesus has called me to do. You start from the perspective that you've already failed and that you're going to fail. And guess what? That's okay. Right? This is an imperfect church for imperfect people. We don't expect you to have it all together. And if you feel like you already do all this and you feel like you've already got all this nailed, this is not the right church for you because there's a lot of us that are a hot mess. Like, just, it is. That's the way it is. We bring with us the situations that we live in every single, you know, week that we come here, and we come here and we hand them back over to God and we ask that he would take those things and turn them into something beautiful. That's what it looks like to understand grace and to be in a relationship with God, that we're not making excuses for sin, but we're saying, hey, this is the reality that we live in, and we're constantly pursuing God together. We're nudging each other. We're encouraging each other. We're showing up for each other. That's what we're doing as a, as a church. And you could get into this and you could say, I'm in over my head. That would actually be probably the right way to think. Okay? Because today we're going to look at the Jesus trying to land the plane right? in his, in his message, in his very long, awesome, amazing sermon. But he's going to actually try to land the plane. And I just, this is just a side note. I, I actually visited a church a couple weeks ago. Uh, before I was ready to come back after my surgery, I wanted to go to church, but I didn't want to come here because I felt like I was, I just was having trouble talking and breathing. And I felt like I was just going to have to talk to 50 people. And I was going to have to answer the same question when I came, showed up here, like, hey, how are you feeling? And I'd have to give like the same spiel over and over again, you know, and I was like, I can't talk that much, like physically, I can't do it. So I went to another church in our area. I won't call out this church, but it's one that I like quite a bit and that we're connected with, and so I'll let you figure that out. And the pastor was doing his sermon, and he was crushing it, man. I'm just like, he's just, he's just you know, preaching this sermon that's just like, you know, I'm amazed. I'm like writing notes down. I'm like, definitely going to re-preach this. Definitely not going to give him any credit. This is going to be fantastic. People are going to think I'm a genius. Um, and he gets to the end of his sermon, and I could see he looked down and realized he was out of time and didn't know how to land the plane. And then he just like, all right, let me pray. And I was like, thank God other pastors struggle with landing the plane in their sermons too. I felt so good about myself. Uh, when Jesus decides to land the plane here, he lands the plane with a parable. And you're like, this is such a Jesus thing to do, right? Like, he, he knows this is like really tough material that he's just given. He understands the disciples might feel like they're in over their head. So he tells them a story and he invites them to find themselves in the parable. He doesn't, he doesn't point his finger and be like, and you guys think at all this. He just says, hey, let me tell you a little parable and then we'll just, we'll finish up here. Almost like you, you figure out, you assess yourself and you figure out where you exist in this story whether you're this guy or this guy, whether you're this person or this person, like you, you just find yourself in this story and then you leave with whatever you need to leave with. You figure out whatever it looks like for you to do the things that I've called you to do and kind of lands with a parable. And I'm going to read that to you in just a second, but I just, I was thinking about this this week. You know, it's this, um, this parable of these two people that build houses and um, they both, you know, get, find themselves in a storm and one stands and one is crushed. Uh, Spoiler alert. Um, the rains come down and the floods come up. Okay, it's just me. <laughs> Nobody else is singing that song when you hear about the... Okay. All the VBS people. Uh, 
So I was thinking about this. You know, my dad, um, he was a... He's an architect by trade, and then uh, when I was a kid, he became uh, a general contractor, and then he kind of owned his own business. He was building houses, and I remember being like about eight or nine years old, and my dad was working on a, a house, and he was, on a Saturday morning, he was uh, trying to get the, the hole dug for the foundation, and we had just moved, we had moved from uh, Florida to Connecticut, and in Connecticut, all the houses are built on basements. Like you build a basement, and then you build the house. In Florida, you just build a, a slab on top of the ground, and then you build the house on top of the slab. Because in Florida, the water table, I don't want to, you know, basically all Florida is basically underwater just about. So you can't dig into the ground. It just fills with water. And so, but in Connecticut, everything is built with a basement. So this was like a new concept to me as a kid. I didn't really understand why we were digging this huge hole. So I remember sitting in the cab of the excavator with my dad as he was digging this, this hole. And it was like the coolest, like, seven, eight, nine-year-old kid thing to do is just hang out with dad in the excavator as we're digging this hole. And just the bucket goes down and picks up all. And you're just like, this is incredible. Like, you get to use this huge machine. You get to build this, this thing. And he's explaining to me that if you get this hole wrong, like, the whole house is wrong. Like, everything in the future gets thrown off if this hole is not correct than if the foundation is not laid correctly. So it's like the most important part of building this house is like in the next week or two, as they create the hole and build the foundation, they have to get it perfect and make sure it's, you know, exactly right. I remember kind of processing that as I'm watching him sort of dig, and then he let me do stuff on the controls, and then he took me off of that really quickly as I <laughs> ruined everything. Um, I was thinking as well this week about um, Mexico City. You may not have known this about Mexico City, but... Everything is sinking in Mexico City. All the buildings are sinking. Um, and because historically, when they uh, sort of settled the area, originally the piece of land that people settled was an island in the middle of a lake. And then it was conquered by the sort of conquistadors that came, and they actually uh, built a land bridge to the island so that they could take over and, uh, and you know, use that piece of land as their sort of home base. And then they built out the land from there and got rid of the entire lake. They built land on top of the lake and just basically made the lake go away. And so over hundreds of years, the entire city has begun to settle into, into a lake, right? Even now, you can't build a building over a certain height in Mexico City because it will just sink, right? Most of these very large buildings are like very carefully uh, watched and engineered so that they can kind of shift a little bit as the land underneath Mexico City moves, right? It's one of the largest cities in the world, and it's, like, it's very unstable, everything about it. There are often, like, holes that just kind of open up and buildings that sort of get their foundations destroyed. I was thinking about, I don't know if you've heard of this little tower in Pisa. I don't know. It leans at, like, five degrees, or at its worst lean, it was about five degrees, um, and it's famous because it leans. Do you know that that's built on, um, I, I believe Google said it was built on, uh, yeah, I don't know if I wrote it down exactly, but basically like clay and shells and sand is what the, the ground is underneath it. And uh, everyone's confused as to why it settled at an angle. Uh, also, the foundation of that building is like woefully small, not, not deep enough. 
Right now, Jesus is about to tell us a parable, uh, and it's stuff we understand. Like, you may not be a builder, and you may not know everything about sort of the, the structural integrity of a building, but you can understand in your mind that if the foundation is off, that if the ground beneath it is moving and kind of going away, if you don't build a deep enough foundation, that these things will cause the building to be off, right? And so as Jesus is closing his sermon, he's landing the plane, and he's inviting people, inviting, not demanding, not pointing the finger at them, not shaming, right? But he's inviting them to find themselves in the story, and he's telling them a story that all of them have seen a million times, understand, and, and know, okay? So here's, here's the parable. Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting with verse uh, 24. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, so he's starting with the idea, like all this teaching that I've done for you guys so far, all of this, everyone who hears this teaching, okay, everyone who's processing, who's chewing on what I've already explained to you, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, that sounds good. If I'm finding myself in the story, I want to be that person. Right? If I'm finding myself in that story, I want to be the wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay? And as I listen to the rest of the story, I definitely want to be that guy. Verse 25, The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Verse 26, But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, when you hear this story, and this is how he lands the plane, he doesn't say, you guys stink at doing what I've just told you to do. He doesn't say, hey, you better get this fixed or you're going to hell. Right? He doesn't like, he's not threatening, he's not pointing a finger, he's not, he's not judging. He's just inviting them to find themselves in the story. He's asking them a very simple question, and he's not talking about buildings. He's talking about their lives, and he's asking the question, what is your life built on? I mean, it's still a really important and really valid question for anyone. What is your life built on? What is the foundation of your life? Like I, there are tons of people who are building their lives on all kinds of terrible foundations. It was the same was true then. And Jesus is just pointing out this idea that there's like two ways that you can build your life. You can build your life on Christ, this solid foundation, right? As Paul would even talk about him being the cornerstone, the like true, you know, corner that would orient the rest of the house and make sure that it's plumb and, and strong and and has all the strength it needs, or there's everything else would fall into that second category. And Jesus, he's been doing this. I don't know if we were picking up on this, but as he just finished this section, right, this closing section, he talks about two gates, right? Just listen carefully to what he's doing. He's giving you a this or that, an either or kind of option. It's, there's not like a hundred options. I feel like we live in this sort of multi- like this pluralistic society where everything is valid and that everything is a way to, to God. Jesus doesn't allow for that. He goes, there's two gates. There's a wide gate and a narrow gate. Most people are on the path to the wide gate. Very few people find the narrow. He said, there's two ways. There's a broad way and a narrow way. Most people are on the broad way and they're just 
moving towards destruction. There's a narrow way that you have to get off and find and look for and seek after. There's two destinies, right? The broad, wide way leads to uh, destruction. The narrow way leads to life. He says there's two crowds. There's many who are on this one, and there's few who find the other one. There are two trees. There's a good tree that looks like this, and there's a corrupt tree that looks like this. One of these gets tossed into the fire. One of these gets pruned and is healthy and produces two different kinds of fruit. One produces good fruit. One produces rotten fruit. Two kinds of behaviors. There's sayers and there's doers. There's two builders. There's a wise builder and a foolish builder. There's two foundations. There's rock and sand. There's two houses. One stands and one crashes down. There's this or that through this entire section because Jesus is saying there's a choice to be made here. You can have one way or you can have the other way. And by the way, if you don't choose, you have chosen. Because it takes intentionality to get off of the broad way that leads to destruction onto the narrow way to find the narrow gate that leads you to life. Jesus doesn't leave room for all paths towards spirituality lead to God. No one actually believes that, by the way. People say that all the time, like, oh yeah, all these, everything's valid. Anyone who practices a faith, almost all the faiths would look at themselves and say, this is exclusively the way to find God. And Jesus does too. It's not a, hey, everybody's good and you're all going to be good. Jesus says there's one way to God, one narrow path, one gate, one intentional choice to follow God. One type of tree, one type of fruit, one person who does things and one person who talks about doing things. There's this one way and it's an intentional choice that if you don't make it, you are, you are sort of in the lazy river on the way to destruction. I think driving this home and sort of asking them to find themselves in the story kind of allows people to say... Maybe I am foolish. I hope I'm wise. I hope I'm moving towards this, this wise path. I hope I'm built on a solid foundation. I don't want to be in this foolish uh, spot. I want to follow God. And so I want to just go back real quick and just kind of go back through this. And I want to look at verse 24 here. I don't know if you could get to it on your thing, but if you can go back to 24, you can throw it up there. Verse 24 uh, He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I think all of us would say we hope to be that person. And I want you to understand that there's this this word in there. So, therefore, uh, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, the idea of putting them into practice is this uh, Greek word poieo. It's used like 500 times in the New Testament. It's any time you are actually going to do something or make something or create something, right? So he uses this word like, hey, this word is like active and it's full of action, right? So when he calls us to do the things that he's asking us to do, he's saying it's an active decision to do this. This is a do or do not kind of situation, not a try. It's just me. Neil immediately in the back just went like this. Right? In the wise words of Yoda. This is a do or do not situation. You either are doing the things, right, being obedient, following through on the things that God has called you to, or you are not. 
You either are seeking after God or you are not. You either are intentionally choosing the narrow path or you are not. And if you aren't, you are choosing the road that leads to destruction. I, um, I've been thinking about this concept a lot. I heard this illustration, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago. I'm pretty sure it was Francis Chan who I heard it from. It doesn't matter if you don't know who Francis Chan is. Um, I find it to be very relevant now that I have uh, an almost 12-year-old. Um, yes, I have an almost 12-year-old. Uh, yep, I, I'm old. And sometimes I will say to my almost 12-year-old or my almost 9-year-old, hey, I need you to clean your room. And I'm going to come home at this time. Uh, you get off the bus at this time. I would like you to go and clean your room before I get home so that way when I get home I can come and check and we can be done with that, that task, right? And so we have this conversation. Okay, clean my room. Okay. Now, how often does it actually happen that one of the kids does what you ask them to do? I'm not calling out Miles exactly. I'm just saying, sorry, but I feel bad now. Um, almost never, right? Unless I'm standing there being like, all right, pick that up. All right, put that away. All right, let's organize this. All right. And if I'm doing it with, that's generally how it gets done, right? That's generally in my house how things get done. And I feel like what happens sometimes is I come home and they're like, listen, Dad, uh, we had a meeting about cleaning our room and we talked through all the good things about cleaning our room and, and we decided that we were going to study methods to clean our room. We've, we actually looked up Marie Kondo and we, um, we've decided that we're probably going to you know, take a little bit of extra time and do a little bit more study. And you know, I looked up the Greek word uh, for clean and... I learned a lot. I learned a lot about, um, I learned that in Spanish, limpio, right? So I'm understanding what it means to clean, and we're studying this, and like, okay, but did you actually clean the room? Like, I feel like a lot of Christians, and I'm just going to sort of throw this out there, they love to study. They love to memorize. They love to listen to what pastors have to say. They love to you know, get into the details. I want to know the meaning of this. I want to, what, what, what can I understand about the original language? I, I know how to find a Greek word or two in the concordant. Like, I, I'm into studying this thing, and I'm into memorizing this thing, but they don't take the step of actually doing the thing. And Jesus says, if you want the blessing from this sermon, right, this teaching, it's poieo. You got to do it. You can't just get together and study more. You can't just get together and talk about it. You can't just get together and pat each other on the back about how hard you're trying. You've got to go out and actually do some of the things that you've been called to do. It's obedience. It's going for it. Now, again, I'm not saying you've got to do it perfectly. But there's a difference between somebody who talks about stuff and who acts like they want to understand what it means to follow God. But then the minute that things don't exactly look the way they want to, they go, well, I was just not going to do that part. Right? That's not poyeo. Poyeo is action. It's saying, I understand what God wants from me. I've studied enough. I get it, and now I'm going to do it. This is the person that goes out of their way to do the things that Jesus has called us to do. And he says, If you want to be like the wise person here, you have to actually go and do some stuff. All right, take a look at verse 25. 
I'm going to go 25 to 27. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. So the wise man builds his house on the, the strong foundation, and he's actually doing the things that Christ has called him to do, and he's living the way that God has called him to live, and yet, still, he deals with storms. In fact, both the wise and foolish person deal with the same storms. You have to step back and realize that if I follow Jesus, this doesn't give me a get-out-of-storms-free card. Storms are still coming. They're coming either way. We live in a fallen world that's completely messed up, where tons of things happen to us every single day that can derail our lives and get in the way and cause strife and put us into tough situations. And the question is not whether those things will come, it's when does the next one come? You are preparing for that storm. Right? Our lives are always, we're always, if things are going well, we're between storms. And it doesn't mean that storms don't come just because you follow Jesus. This is not like a a magic genie where now all of a sudden all the bad things in the world get bumped out of your life and you're good. And now you can say God loves me because he's giving me a better situation than the people who don't follow him. No, the people who do follow him and the people who don't follow him deal with the same storms. The people who do follow him, their houses stand when the storm is over because their faith is in Jesus. The people who don't follow him, their houses crash because their faith is in something other than Jesus. But it's the same storm. By the way, that's why I love being part of a community. You know, I was, we had like tons of rain, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. It was like as much rain as we've had in like forever. And I was watching the news and they were showing this neighborhood, you know, and they always show like these video packages on the local news when they're talking about something like, oh, the torrential rain pours somewhere in Minnesota. I don't even know where it was. I wasn't really paying attention that much because my street wasn't flooding. Um, you don't, you're, okay, just me. Um, and there's all these neighbors like pulling up trucks and filling sandbags and they're out in the road and they're like creating these sand bag sort of, I don't know, like to divert the water out of people's yards in, in their neighborhood and to kind of create it. And I'm like, this is cool, man. That's the neighborhood you want to live in, right? You want to live in the neighborhood where all the people drive their trucks up and start shoveling sand into bags and start putting the bags out so your house doesn't get flooded when the storm comes. Like I can imagine the neighborhood up the street, they didn't get any video of it because it's just overrun with water. In fact, all the water that was diverted from this neighborhood just went into the next neighborhood where nobody cared about each other. This church is the kind of church where people pull their pickup trucks up and fill sandbags and put them out in front of your house. Like when, when storms come, not only is your foundation strong because you put it into Jesus, but you've got an army of people standing next to you who are covering the bases for you, man. And I mean, my family learned this the last couple months more than any of you, you know, I mean, as we just didn't have to think about any of the stuff that had to get done. I mean, we got snow in like April and it just disappeared. And food just showed up. And people just came over and did stuff. Things just happened. And you're like, yeah, but you're the pastor. No, 
I'm telling you, talk to any person in a small group, and they'll tell you, you the small group just takes turns caring for whoever's crisis is going on in that moment. Because storms are happening for somebody in that group all the time. And what we're doing is, we're the neighborhood that gets together and carries the load together for whoever's struggling in that moment. That's what community looks like. And that's why you want to be part of a church where you are known and in a small group and have people covering your back and have a church that cares about you where you're not just like, you know, randomly in and out where no one knows who you are. Because storms are coming. They're coming for you, and they're coming for the foolish builder. See, I just found you in the story and made you the wise one. But They're coming for you, and they're coming for the other person. And you want to live in the neighborhood where the people are caring for you and taking care of you in those times of need. And I've done it for other people in other times. That's what we do. That's what we do as a community. That's what it looks like. We carry the load in those storms. We carry the load when things are difficult and happening. And I don't need to get into a long list of what the storms look like. The storms are different for everybody. And sometimes they're sort of difficult, and other times they're crazy difficult. And sometimes it feels like somebody's living in bliss and nothing ever happens to them. And sometimes it feels like other people, only thing that can happen to them is terrible stuff. right? But we're carrying the load together, and we're surviving the storms together in community and with our houses built on the right foundation, and I just don't know how you do it any other way. I was talking to a, 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 someone I'm close with recently, and they don't, they don't go to a church. They're not part of a small group. They don't have a community of people. And I was asking, like, how does this work? How do you do stuff? How do you, what happens when something goes wrong, like when things are tough? Like, who comes over? And they didn't have a lot of family they didn't have like a lot of close friends. They were just sort of like on their own. I don't know how people do things on their own, but I don't want to know that. I want to be in relationship with people, and I want to carry the load for them at times, and I want them to carry the load for me at times. That's what it looks like to be part of a healthy community. And I'm telling you, this wise builder build their house on this foundation, which is Jesus and his church. And Jesus shows up in those moments and his church shows up in those moments in, on his behalf. His hands and feet active in your storm. So don't stray too far from his church and what he's doing. You know, this is why in the beginning of his sermon, Jesus asks or sort of lays out the initial concept. Who is blessed? The poor in spirit. The spiritually bankrupt person who steps back and says, I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus and I need his people in my life to be able to do what he's calling me to do. And he goes, the poor in spirit are the ones who are blessed. They're the spiritually bankrupt. They mourn because they know that they can't do it on their own. They know that they're going to fall short. And he said, and those are the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are dying to be the kind of people that God has called them to be and they know on their own they can't. That's how he starts this message and in the end he tells you to find yourself in it whether you're the wise or you're the foolish builder. And yet I think we as a society, if I could say it th- this way or maybe as uh, you know in 2023 what we fight more than anything else is we fight building our 
our lives and being intentional because we fight apathy and comfort and pride. I don't care. I'd rather be comfortable. I can do it myself. Jesus says, if you want to do that, you're building your life on sand and the next storm is going to rock your world. Right? This is what he calls us to fight and I think in 2023, this is what we're fighting. I think people are building their lives on amusement, on entertainment, on their own deeds, their own actions, which is pride. They're building it for money, for fame, for power. They want people's recognition. They want to be people pleasers. I mean, I I think our hobbies become the things that get elevated more than anything else. I mean, I think in Minnesota, we've got this cabin culture, fishing culture, hunting culture, uh, sports culture. By the way, don't put your faith in the Vikings or the (laughs) twin. Like, good Lord. I can't save you from that one. Uh, They're going to break your heart. And I know because I'm a Mets fan. I I feel your pain. Um, But we put our faith on these foundations of things that they're all sand. They're all faulty and they all come down with a crash. Right? I think good Minnesotans, we look at ourselves and we say, I can pull myself up on my bootstraps. I can do it on my own. Right? I can define myself based on my career or based on how much money we have or based on you know, people accepting me in certain circles or certain types of people or, you know, my social media presence if you're, you know, like under the age of 20. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of weird things that we put our faith in and none of those things are going to stand. They're all going to come down with a crash. Let me tell you, both of these people, the wise and the foolish, they both heard Jesus' teaching. They both were building something and they both were building it on a foundation in fact, both of them completed the house. But one of them stood back and was like, look what I did on my own before the storm came. They both dealt with storms and their outcomes were completely different. The question is not, are you going to be perfect and be able to do all this perfectly? The question is, are you going to transfer your faith into the foundation that will help your life stand when the storm comes? Are you going to say, yes, my life needs to be built on Jesus and his teachings because otherwise it will crash when the storms come? Yes, I want to be part of a church that shows up when the flood comes. I want to be connected with other people where I get to do the same thing for them. And I get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in their lives and they get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in my life. Both of them dealt with the same stuff and they had completely different outcomes. Um, I don't even know how many years ago it was, but uh, when Katrina happened in, in New Orleans, it feels like forever ago, um, as soon as Katrina happened, it was one of those moments where it was like, I, I, I had to do something. Like I, I just watched and completely it wash away a, a whole city. And I just thought, I can't, I can't, be, I can't stay home. I have to go and do something. And at the time I was living in Connecticut, I was a youth pastor. So I said, great, let me just get a bunch of teens together and let's just go and we'll just do a thing. We'll do a thing. We don't know what we'll do. We'll just go do a thing. And uh, at the time there was like a missions organization that was like, yeah, come on down. We don't know what you'll do, but when you get here, there's plenty of work. 
And so we just took off. It was during spring break for the kids. It kind of lined up really well. We had like a, just a month or two to prepare, and then boom, we were down in, in New Orleans doing some work. And we ended up in um, the Ninth Ward, which is like the worst area that was completely destroyed. And um, I don't know if you've ever like been there or seen the situation in New Orleans. It's bananas. Um, we, we ended up basically working on this house where we gutted the entire thing. We ripped all the sheetrock out. We completely emptied it. It had all the furniture and stuff in there that was underwater for like a, a week or two. And we just basically gutted this house down to the studs. And we did all this work and we had you know dumpsters we were filling every single day. They were coming and going. And uh, spent an entire week basically getting this house ready to be aired out and rebuilt. And I stepped outside of the house that morning and I looked down the street, and I'm, I can't even really explain to you how surreal it is to be in the Ninth Ward, but I looked down the street, and there was a wall, like at the end of the street, kind of like the wall, like when you're driving um, over in Moundsview here, and there's like a wall next to 35, and it's like 20 feet high, and it's meant so that you just don't see the highway or whatever. There's a wall at the end of the street, probably like 400, 500 yards away, and the wall is like 20 feet high, and it had this line on it, on the inside that you could see, and that was meant to tell you where the water level is usually on this wall. And what I realized is that as I was standing there, this wall was super tall, and this water line was above where I was standing. And I thought, this neighborhood should be underwater. Why are we rebuilding this? <laughs> I don't understand why we're rebuilding. And if we are rebuilding this, we should be rebuilding this house on, like, it should be up in the air 12 feet high because that water is going to come over that wall. I know the Army Corps of Engineers spends all this effort to keep the water back. I don't know why you would build below sea level. It doesn't make any sense at all to me as I was standing there looking at it. And I thought, we just spent an entire week gutting a house that's going to need to be gutted in like, I don't know, five years, 15, 20, 25, however long it is, the next storm, the water's going to come over that thing again and destroy this house again. And there's going to be another group of naive kids from Connecticut who show up to gut the house again and get it ready to be rebuilt again. And I was like, what are we doing? I, I mean, at that point, I just wanted to knock the house over and build it up 12 feet and waterproof the bottom and say, ride it out next time. You'll be all right, right? Like, it didn't, didn't make any, any sense. Like, I, I, I think sometimes we, we mistake, like, that we're, we're good, that, that, like, everything will be fine. That we, we've put all of our effort into things, and we've built this, this house and the foundation. And, you know, we had, we had some trouble a couple years ago, but we gutted the house out, and we rebuilt the whole thing. And so now we put our full effort into it and we've got it restored and it's back to, to life and things are good and we're, we're good and things are good. And what we, don't, what we don't factor in is that there's water going to come over the wall at some point in the next 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years. The storm is going to come and it will destroy the house unless the house is built properly for that situation. That, that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, the water is going to come over the wall and it's going to destroy this house again unless you build it up, unless you put it on the right foundation, 
unless you set up for the storms that are coming, unless you become part of the community that I've called you to be, unless you put into practice some of these things that I've taught you, like unless you build your house on the solid foundation, we're just going to be gutting this thing out every couple years, and it's going to be brutal. Like, it doesn't make any sense. You're going to look down the street and see that the water is going to come over that wall at some point. It doesn't matter how many, ar- how many Army Corps of Engineers you have. You can't build the wall high enough to keep the wall from destroying this house again soon. And that's what it looks like. That's what life looks like. Yes, there are beautiful, amazing times, but there are, those are times between storms that we should be getting ready for not allowing our life to get completely destroyed every time something happens because, you know, we're not willing to put our faith in Christ and build our foundation strong in Jesus. I just want to close here with a passage from James. And this is the brother of Jesus. And this is what James has to say. It's James chapter 1, verse 22. You don't, you don't have it on your, on your thing. 22. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 22. This is what James says. Probably really taking Jesus' teaching and repurposing it for what he's teaching on here in James chapter 1. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. You might be saying, Things are fine and it's okay and I'm pretty good and I've done enough and I've done a lot and I'm going to be fine and I don't need anyone's help and I can do this on my own and this is what my life's going to be built on. He says, Don't deceive yourselves. Don't merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He says, it's a ridiculous proposition to say that you know what to do, didn't do it, and then want credit for it later. You have to put into practice the words of Jesus. We're actually going to finish this series off next week with one more uh, sermon about Jesus' teaching. Um, but this is really where the plane lands for Jesus. He says, find yourself in the story. Are you the wise builder or are you the foolish builder? Is your house built on a foundation of Jesus and his teaching and his church? Or is it built on the sand of the shifting world around us? Look, I think the way that our culture is right now, it has never been more shifting beneath us. I think a lot of people have put their faith sort of in the world around them, in the culture around them for a very long time, and it shifted like slightly, like sort of over time. But now it feels like it shifts almost every day beneath our feet that what was true yesterday is not true tomorrow. All kinds of issues that seem to be shifting and moving below us. I think now it's maybe more important than ever that we put our faith in Christ and we build on His foundation because His foundation does not shift. Right? The world can shift all over, but we don't care because our foundation is in Jesus and His foundation does not shift. So when you find yourself in the story, are you the wise builder? Or are you the foolish builder? Is your faith your house built on Jesus' word and his teaching? Or is it built on the culture, on the world, on the pride, on any other thing other than Jesus? Let me finish us, close us in prayer. 
Jesus, would you make it apparent to us where we are living foolish lives? Would you help us to see ourselves in this story? God, would you show us what it looks like to live out the teachings? Not just know them, not just memorize them, not just study them, God, but actually do them, actually live them. And God, would this be the kind of community that shows up for each other, that rides out those storms together, that fights for one another, that pushes us all to live the way that you called us to live? Jesus, would we be wise, building our lives on your foundation? In Jesus' name, amen.